Philip, we are back. Ask a Negotiator podcast is back. Um, and after a bit of a hiatus, the series is up and running again. For our regular listeners, we didn't start this podcast with the customary sausage rolls. However, we are in Cedar's offices and there are quite a few nicely chilled Heineken's in the fridge with our names on it. So perhaps we'll have a couple of those after the recording. Um, You're tempting me. I've I've been in the fridge and I've not seen them. So these must be Ben's invisible Scottish (laughs) Heineken. They're hidden away. And I mean, after a shout out like that, Heineken might end up being a sponsor of the podcast. Um, But Phil, the Ask a Negotiator series is about answering uh, negotiation challenges and questions from our audience. Um, And I have one question. Actually, I have a couple of questions from regular listeners that we're going to come to in a few episodes' time. Um, I should say that people can submit a question anytime uh, by emailing me, and details on how to do that um, are in the podcast description. Um, but I know you wanted to restart the Ask a Negotiator uh, series, Phil, by going through some sort of fundamental skills, a sort of back-to-basics approach. Um, so with that in mind, it might be worth revisiting what actually was the purpose of the Ask a Negotiator series, you know, when we when we set out to do it? Ah, good question. What is the purpose? A, a question I often ask myself and many a negotiator for anything we do. It's a good question to ask yourself. What is the purpose of this technique, this question, this approach? What's its purpose? What am I hoping to achieve? So for me, I like to keep things simple. So for me, ask a negotiator. Yes, you said people putting their questions in, which I love to answer. But all I think we really want to do is to encourage you out there doing the negotiations to just have this opportunity to improve your ability, to improve your competence as a negotiator. Um, so improving your competence, how does that actually happen, though? Oh, okay. Because, uh, you know, we will listen to it, mm. and I know you give, you give some homework mm. and some advice, but in terms of actually getting better at something, in your experience of training people, how does that actually play out? I like, I actually, there's lots of models and theories, but one that works for me is something I, I once heard. It's called the comp, uh, conscious competence model. And probably one of the reasons... I like it. It immediately reminded me of my childhood. So imagine me, Phil, at the age of seven, which was, dare I say, in the last century, Ben, way before you were born. But in, in that time, I can remember as a child, as a seven-year-old, you could get a little toy of a, a car steering wheel. It was all in plastic, but it came fully equipped with a, a horn, indicators, Um, Bells and whistles. Bells and whistles, things like that. But it also had a suction cup. And what it meant was that if I was sat in the rear of the car, I could, with the suction cap, attach my steering wheel to the rear of my parents' front seats. And I was the ultimate driver. (laughs) Ultimate backseat driver. The (laughs) ultimate backseat driver. And this is where this model comes in, because it talks about how we learn. And this is learn anything, but I'm just using driving. Um, And in the first phase of the model, at the age of seven, they would describe me as unconsciously incompetent, (laughs) which would shatter my illusions. But the reality is, 
is if you're unconsciously incompetent about something, it's either that you have no idea about your inability to do something, or, or me, uh, you can think you can do it, but reality is a very different story. Now, if I sort of grow up a bit more to the age of 17, I think it might even be that age today, when you can learn to drive, yeah. that's where I went moved from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence. In other words, my first moment of getting in that driving seat and realizing that the coordination of gears, brakes, accelerator, indicators, horn, yeah. and looking where I'm going yeah, yeah. produced stalls and chaos in those <laughs> opening moments. And the reality of it was frightening. Am I ever going to get the hang of this? But through lessons, practice, experience, that moved from conscious incompetence to hopefully the day of my test where I was consciously competent. And yes, I passed my driving test and I'm now free on the road. And that's where for anyone else out there who, who's been through that experience, whether driving, riding a bicycle or whatever, you will go through the same phases. But this is the interesting bit I find is we then get into the swing of life, swing of driving, and I become unconsciously competent. And what that means is, frankly, a lot of what is very complicated becomes natural. Through autopilot. That, autopilot. And if you said to me today, Ben, oh, tell me about your drive, Phil, when you drove into work, I would probably look at you. <laughs> there would be a pause, yeah. blank stare. I'd really have to think about it because I can't really remember it unless something in particular different happened. Now, that doesn't mean I'm dangerous or incompetent <laughs> at all because I have mastered a very complex thing. And that's what we all do in life with loads of things. That's what we do in most people. We learn negotiation, as I say, from the moment we're born. And we are competent. Yeah, we are this goes my question. How does this apply to the world of right. negotiation? Yeah. So we are good, and we picked it up intuitively through habit, through experience. But go back to my, uh, this is where I've added to the model, another phase, which I'm, I'm sort of lovingly calling conscious excellence. And in my analogy of driving, so what if I wanted to be a Formula One driver and get onto that? That's another level of driving. So I have to go beyond that. And yes, I probably need a lot more experience. I probably need help coaching, a lot more practice, a lot more understanding of really what driving and driving well is. So I'm building on it, but it's very much more a conscious effort to build that competence. Mm -hmm. And that is with that practice and sort of never ending practice is what hones that ability. Now, I'm not a Formula One driver, <laughs> you might say, but my own experience of this sort of transformational change occurred to me when I went on the hostage negotiation training cost. Because everything that I'd learned, if you like, innately about mm. human communication was broken down again. And, and I was helped to become more consciously aware and to understand what I was doing, not only what I was doing well, but equally why some of the bits that didn't work well didn't and how I could improve them, yeah. plus a whole load of other knowledge and 
and stuff yeah. that enabled me to really squeeze the best out of what I was doing. And it, I suppose that moves me on to another little phrase that I pinched from some people I worked with as a hostage negotiator, and that was special forces. They talk about the pursuit of excellence. In fact, they talk about the constant pursuit of excellence. Um, and it starts with the basics being simply the best at the basics. In hostage negotiation, we used to call a lot of what we did was let's go back to basics. Let's do these small, simple things really, really well. Because that, as it accumulates, and, and, you, and as you gain ability in it, because you're now consciously focusing on these things that we sort of did subconsciously and through habit, that is what makes things transformational. And I suppose I've got a whole basket of yeah. little things that I'm, I can suggest to people and maybe yeah. quite a few of them will suggest. Well, fantastic. And then sort of, you know, with the, with the view of going back to basics and with mm. the pursuit of, of getting better mm. all the time, what is your insight, your tip going to be for this, this week? Ah, this week, something really simple. And it is the phrase, is there something else? And I'm particularly picking those words, something else, because me included, more naturally, when we're going to use a phrase like that, is we naturally use, is there anything else? Yeah. Is there anything else, Ben? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with that. It's just I, in this pursuit of excellence, mm -hmm. love looking at research. And um, I... Um, a lady I know, Professor Elizabeth Stoker, she's written a book called Talk, and she studies the science of conversation. And in particular, there's a chapter where she looks at the word, well, she really looks at what's the difference between the word some and any. And in particular, she's asking, and how does this change outcomes? And as soon as you say to me, changing outcomes, I switch on because that's what we do as negotiators. We are about changing outcomes. So this could be useful. And she refers to an earlier bit of legislation where, uh, probably like us all, people go to the doctors. They only have so much time, the doctors. Mm -hmm. And if you're anything like me, I, I gather about two or three ailments <laughs> after years and finally go. But what they noticed with people going to the doctors is that usually they run out of time and only one thing ever gets mentioned. Um, and the doctors are going, well, how can we get people to tell us these things? Because we know they're coming for more things. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. they've even said, I've got three things at reception. But when they get to the doctor, they talk about the one thing. And doctors have tried all sorts of things, including the phrase, is there anything else? Yeah. And yes, you get responses, but when they put this to the test with different words, what they found is if you substitute the word any with some and ask, is there something else, you get a significantly higher response. Extraordinary. And it, and it is. And, it, and it's something to do with the word any. Yeah, what is it about the word any? It, um, it, the... I wouldn't pretend to know all the science, but it, it's more of a closing down feeling, whereas some 
Islam and opening up. Um, the, the example that they give that resonates with me, you're sat in a business meeting, it's a proper agenda, and usually in an agenda, at the end you get, is there any other business? Uh, it'll be, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And by this time, everyone, as it goes around the room, is going in their heads, please, everyone, <laughs> say no. <laughs> exactly, so we yeah. got into our heads that whenever the word any, any other business, <laughs> no, the answer's no. Yeah. So there is something about it's a closing downward, whereas something else almost hints that I half know there's something else. It's an opening word. And it more often than not produces a response. So, I'm, how is this useful to negotiation? You, you, you preempted my question already. Um, and, and I'm going to give you, Ben, two lovely examples that have been fed back to me. So, I, I've shared this learning, I've used it myself, but I love other people's examples. I'm going to give two. So, um, and these are two people that have been on various training programs with us. And they've, they've learned this, is there something else? So one financial director, he was looking to renew a contract with a customer. And this is almost the classic negotiation where we love your product, but can we have it cheaper? Yeah. It's all about price, um, which many negotiations seem to be about. And he remembered that th this phrase, is there something else? And that it was something to do with trying to expand the value of what we might have to offer. Is there something else we can offer? So we thought, I'll give it a go. Is there something else, he said, at the end of what I call the exploration phase, before they were really going to get into the bargaining and making mm -hmm. offers? Yeah. And the person he was with said, ah. Um, In well, response to his question, yes, is there something else? Ah, actually, and it was we were wondering whether, and it was all to do with IT systems, whether your systems might also provide this data because it's become relevant to us now. In other words, the world has moved on and changed. And he thought to himself, our systems do provide that. A, we never thought it, anyone would want it. No one's asked it for it before. And it would, we could hardly cost us anything. So he, he yeah, okay, tell me more. Let's let's talk about it. And then he remembered the other thing I said is keep saying, is there something else until you get the no, that's everything response. And so he did it. He said it another three times and other little topics cropped up so that when it now came to him presenting what he could offer as part of an, a package, he'd increased the value to the client. But if you want to know what's the value of that to him, he saved in renewing this contract £400,000 just by asking, is there something else? Wow, three times. And that was it. That's all he had to do. And another lovely little example was, again, it was a lady, uh, senior manager on, uh, that we were doing a podcast with. I used this example. She did exactly what he did. Another client came to the end, a bit different this time. So she said, is there something else? And the client goes, well, I know we've not asked you about this, but we are looking, for, we've got another contract out for tender. I mean, we've not come to you. Um, people are a bit slow taking it up. I don't know. Is this something you would be interested in want to quote on? And of course, she would tell me more yeah. discussion. And it ended up with, them putting a bid in for this contract, it's worth £300,000. 
I suppose the point is, just by asking that question, she opened up another area of business that they were not even in play for. They didn't know existed. And so you just don't know. I'm not saying it's going to work every time. And there may be many occasions where you think, I don't want to know. But in negotiating, negotiation, the purpose is to increase, find ways to increase the value of what you might be offering. And we're in a changing world all the time. You never know what might have changed that they might say. And so I suppose there's a bit of homework. I was going to say, is there something else? (laughs) (laughs) There is. So homework. I would just say to the listeners is in your conversations at work or whatever else you do outside of work, just be conscious of the potential in a conversation where you think you've got to the end of it is just to what I would do is just pause and go, Ben, is there something else? And let the pause linger and just see. It might be no, but you never know what might come out. And if people, as you said, if people want to write in, if people get some great examples, I would love to know. The one lesson that I have failed to adopt, and and listeners might pick me up on, is I should have asked for something like 0.01% of any profit that people make from asking this (laughs) question. So I'm making it now so that you and I, Ben, can be millionaires this time next year. (laughs) Sounds fantastic. Sounds fantastic. So something else, conscious excellence and something else. Phil, a great first episode back. And look forward to doing more of these Back to Basics series. Pleasure.